Hello and welcome to Kingdom Quest episode 238. I'm your host, Mike Apps, not totally not sleeping. Uh, and with me as always. Uh, polar bear manager to the stars, David Bernie, family master. I just st- stepped back in from doing laundry. Your man in Japan, Michael Baker, guys, you know, Okay, I'll just stay in here now. <laughs> I'm assuming we're recording, are we? Yeah, yeah, we're recording. Okay. As long as wheels has not screwed up in some significant fashion. Wow, that's such such faith. Listen, I understand. I, I'm willing to believe because it's been like four years since you lost an episode because we just didn't record. Oh, that was that was not good. Yeah, I like that's the that. kind of lesson that if you have to learn it more than once, you just stop having a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, now now we stream on two channels. So if something happens on one, hopefully it's available. Hopefully on the one of them works. But yeah. What what have we all been playing? What have we all been Um I'm getting into the really tough section of Shin Megami Tensei five. That's well, a frightening descriptor based on well, the early sections. Well hey, <laughs> um if you're playing on oh. hard, that's everything. Yeah. Yeah, I I managed to beat the second major boss um on the first try somehow. Um Considering it's like a three-stage boss, it shifts weak points halfway through. Um, the th- last form is a complete surprise. Oops, hi. And um, I was completely out of small and regular-sized wind stones and light stones, fire stones, and I was—I had maybe maybe five demons left out of sixteen. Wow. <laughs> And the only reason I survived is because my main character and King Frost both had absorb ice, and mm. he actually hit them a few times, and it wasted a couple turns and healed them up perfectly. So, yeah, I got lucky. <laughs> I'll say. Damn. So now I'm heading into the middle of the war zone that is Chioda um, Ward. Like you walk, you walk into the Chioda Ward, and the first thing you see is a massive battle between angels and demons going on in the skies overhead. And one of the, um, I think one of the either a power or an archangel crashes to the ground in front of you and goes, "What? Why are you here?" Before dissolving into red mist. Hmm. Good question. What a wonderful way to introduce to a level. <laughs> What yeah. are you doing here? Better. I don't mm-hmm. actually have a quest marker up right now, so I'm not actually sure where I am supposed to be going. <laughs> what are you doing here? The real question. Getting my butt kicked a few times. There is a. There's just a feral chimera romping around one intersection. Huh. He's like, okay. It's a big icon. Let's see what happens. Level 50 Chimera. Mm. Smoke bomb. Goodbye. Mm. <laughs> mm. I mean, I think my main character's up to level 41 now. 
I need to gain mm. at least three more levels before I can actually start um, making some new demons out of the ones I currently have. And um, I've been surprisingly lucky getting gospels off of the Mitama enemies. Nice. Uh, FYI, gospels, or whatever the English translation is, um, will take your main character up to exactly the amount of experience needed to get to the next level. Hmm. Yes. Appl- apl- um, applicable after the next fight. Hmm. So. Yeah, I've heard Mitamas are used for uh, uh, grinding in that way in this one. Yep. I mean, they're like the equivalent of the metal slimes in this game. Mm-hmm. So they run away fast, too. And yeah, they're they a giant pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. And they are only susceptible to one attack. And that it attack changes. Randomizes. <laughs> yes. Ugh. So, um, invest in a bunch of those spy um, spy glasses. Yeah. Especially when they start coming in groups of four. <sighs> On the plus side, my. Um, well, Wheels, when you're playing Megaton 5, which which stat do you choose for your one bonus point up at each level up? Usually magic or agility. I've been choosing luck every oh, single time since really? like the second level. So yeah, all of my regular stats are like 29 or 30, and my luck stat is at 64. Jesus. <laughs> yes. So I'm um, I'm getting a lot of stuff off of things now. Hmm. As, as I recall, I think the luck stat determines whether or not you get bonus items upon finishing a battle. And granted, I just kind of always boost luck whenever possible in a Mega Ten game, no matter what, if given the option. Hmm. I also have like. 59 or 60 grimoires. That's so, a lot of grimoires. Yeah. Uh, I haven't really been using them for their intended purpose, but, you know, as soon as I figure out what my final party's going to be like, these things are getting all jacked up to level 100 as fast as possible. Uh, <laughs> should be fun. Just live in the dream. I mean, also, it, would, it would not be a Mega Ten game if you're not trying to break it somehow. True. <laughs> and Wheels, what have you been playing? Uh, I have been playing a little bit of Shin Megami Tensei Five, not too much. Uh, my son had his birthday party this past weekend, and also a new chapter of Fortnite launched, so I had to. Play lots of that with him. So you could unlock Spider-Man. Yes. Yeah, Spider-Man is in the Battle Pass, which means I will be playing lots of that. I just got to say, happy birthday training wheels. Okay. Since I don't know your son's... I can't remember your son's name. Patrick. Patrick, mm. okay. I know, I like training wheels as a nickname. <laughs> it's good. It's a good one. <laughs> And the younger son is Finn the Human. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I remember that one because I was thinking 
So how much bargaining did he have to do with his wife for that? Not a lot, because she liked the name Finnegan. <laughs> Fair enough. So I just had to shut up and say, that sounds great. I don't have <laughs> ulterior motives. Uh, but yeah, so not a lot of RPGs in your world. Uh, I played a little bit of Swords of Ditto, which is like... Never heard of this. It's well. Imagine if someone took um, the Legend of Zelda: Link to the Past and made it into a roguelike, oh, which obviously Dave would hate. But yes, that's kind of what it is. That does sound horrible, but at the same time, I'm glad you enjoy. Uh, did you ever try the randomizer Legend of Zelda? I have not. I know I've people who play it a lot. It looks very frustrating at times. Uh, but yeah, this one is, it's got its own like colorful art style. And I mean, it's not, it's, it's not totally like uh link to the past. That's just kind of the, the closest. Baseline. Yeah. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun and we'll probably definitely be playing more of that. Um, that's kind of it for RPG. It's been playing some more <sighs> crisis too. Which, as I said previously, has aged shockingly well for a nearly ten-year-old first-person shooter. Mm. Um, mm. But honestly, it's kind of one that um, I don't want to say it was made primarily for consoles, but that was kind of a big. It was okay, um, and it did not. Run... They were not happy with the PC-only sales. Of yeah, the it did not run particularly well on any of the consoles they designed it for. Yeah, it ran at like 20 primes per uh, second, infamously. So it's it's actually pretty nice to be able to play it like uh, at a more consistent frame right now, and it's 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 really nice, and it's it's kind of got like the Halo thing where this it actually uses like decent AI, so you can't kind of you can't just like run and gun through everything, or you will die. <laughs> Uh, so it's speaking it's, of Halo, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it's. I mean, the two is uh, definitely more linear than the original game, which was more sandboxy. Uh, but I mean, it's nice. It's fun. It's uh, it's kind of a game. I it's kind of a shooter that you we don't really get that much anymore. Because if you're getting something single player, it's mostly. You're either going to get something like a Far Cry or you're going to get super linear Call of Duty garbage. Uh, so this is kind of something in between that I've been missing. So, uh, Speaking of things kind of like Far Cry, uh, I'll probably be playing the Halo campaign sometime soon, which has been getting some really good reviews. So, Yeah, people seem to really like it. Looking forward to that. Um, it looks like you get like the an infinite grapple hook in single player. Yeah, which means it's basically a single player Pathfinder from Apex Legends, and I am hell hell there for that. So, so someone like send a warthog flying and then grapple it, and then send themselves flying halfway across the map. Yep, it's pretty great. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, but while messing around with first-person shooters, I'm going to be continuing to plug along in Shin Megami Tensei Five and try and make some progress in some other RPG of the Year contenders like um, 
Monster Hunter Stories 2, and what the hell else do I have to finish? Still haven't played much Neo World Ends with you. Yeah, I need to do that. And probably something else I'm forgetting. Yeah. Yeah, that's about Just it. Just going to keep RPG in. Yep. Uh, as for me, I've mostly been playing nonsense garbage for like blog post purposes, so not a lot of RPGs in there. Uh, played through like Clover, Capcom beat him up, Beautiful Joe, which is not an RPG. Uh, let's see. I've lit upon a point of obsession that uh, occasionally flits through my brain with uh, uh, what do you call it? Lit upon a point of uh, obsession in my brain. Uh, Early aughts, uh, polar bear folk music singing simulator Uma Uta, which, huh? if you've never seen a video of this, and I know I've advised this before, please, I beg of you to go look it up. <laughs> because this is a game where... A polar, like, this polar bear comes to you, and, like, this is not a rhythm game in the way that, like, you press buttons in time with the music to make the polar bear sing properly. Polar bear comes to you and asks you subjects on which to build a Anka song on. Which, if you're not aware, Anka is, like, a Japan, basically Japanese old person music, but... Imagine like some old timey country music, except mm. it's all in Japanese, all in Oriental five tone scale, and about as drippingly saccharine, nostalgic for old very, times. Yeah, very nostalgic and sentimental. Yeah, but yeah, this polar bear. The the gameplay of this game is that the polar bear comes to you and asks you what to write an Anka song about. Then, the game generates a song based on the choices, based on the subjects you give the polar bear. And then the game performs the song for you. And then, I don't know by what metric it does this, but the game determines whether the song was a success. Huh. So, like, there's, there's very little actual gameplay to this. I have no idea why or how it was made. But it is very funny to hear this weird synth. Like it's one of the most surreal things you'll ever see to see this weird uh, polar bear dressed like a like a blues brother understudy singing inside of like a washroom floating in space. Uh, it's just like very sentimental, folksy Japanese music. And, uh, it's, it's just very, with this extremely robotic synthesized voice, because the song is generated based on the prompts. And mm -hmm. it's a very early bit of voice synthesization. I believe this predates, like, uh, to name a famous Japanese example, this predates Vocaloids by, like, six months. Uh, it's a very strange... I was thinking of something that they did for Tokimeki Memorial 2. Mm, that that where, will, like, wait, say your name, I think? Yep. It, um, 
where most games that allow you to name the main character will find some way of avoiding using the name. Mm -hmm. Like Dragon Quest VIII does. Um, I can make a memorial too. Um, as long as you can write it out in Anna, it will pronounce your name mm -hmm. appropriately. It's it's much more it's it's much easier to do that in Japanese because of the way Japanese works. Yeah, you don't actually have to yeah. ask like twenty questions to figure out exactly how to pronounce whatever word you just wrote. Yeah, but, but we had that rant last week. So yeah. It hasn't been posted as of this record. We're sorry. Um, I had to but do yeah. the aforementioned birthday party. Yeah, it's, it's yes, funny how understand. that works. But yeah, so yeah, that that's that's that game has been a lifelong obsession of mine, basically since I first read about it twenty years ago. Like you just uh, have to try it to see if it's that weird. Yeah, I just have to see it. I just have to play it. And so I like finally got it in my head. Like I'm gonna try see how PCSX2 handles this. And the answer is I don't know yet because, as it turns out, no one has actually posted any sort of results for how it runs on the PCSX2 wiki at any point. Hmm. So I guess I'll be the guinea pig sometime tomorrow after I get a booster shot for maximum confusion. Huh. I but... just the next can hit you harder. Uh, it's one of those things where it's just like, by the time that I get home and feel like playing a game, it will probably have been like five or so hours since I got uh, the shot. And the last, the second shot, I was I was mostly just sort of like, I got tired, basically. Like, that's what happened. And so playing, playing a surreal game while extremely tired is always a fun, <laughs> always mm -hmm. a fun time. Hey, at least it's not like post-surgery and you're still on anesthesia. Yeah, no, I don't want to do that ever. Uh, also, good to see Wheels just sort of give up. Um, those not watching the stream, he just got murderized. Um, let's see. So yeah, uh, Kuma Uta, not an RPG, but uh, as, as the immortal Hunter S. Thompson once said... Uh, Oh, how to how to even put this? I always want to do the full because it's uh, too powerful. Here, here. Uh, there it goes. One of God's own prototypes, a high-powered mutant of some kind, never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live and too rare to die. That's that's <laughs> Puma Uta is the game version of that. <laughs> There were a lot of those in the PS2 period. Sony Computer Entertainment Incorporated, back when they were a branch that was allowed to just do things, really seemed to love doing that. They also that was also the period when they uh, were approving budgets for games like Mojib Ribbon. So, Mr. Mosquito. Mr. Mosquito. There's two Mr. Mosquitoes. We didn't even get the second one. <laughs> I am amazed you got the first one. Yeah. Yeah. It was IDOS's very short-lived Fresh Games label, where they were like, we can get in the niche publishing business. Wait, there's no money in this. What is yeah. Mr. Mosquito, exactly? That's a game where you play as a mosquito and suck people's blood. It's like a, a you're flying around and you're trying to land on the like the sweet spots on the humans in this house to 
properly extract blood for your wife who is sick because and so can't actually do it, so you're doing it for her. And you're um, slowly they're slowly being driven mad by the amount of mosquito bites they're getting. Yep. At which point like at by the final by the final level, final battle, these guys are going insane with fly swatters, um, bug spray and like everything. They're basically about to burn the house down to try and kill you. Yeah. Yeah, there's a the sequel took uh, took the entire premise and went to Hawaii. Hey, ka two, let's go Hawaii. But yeah, very very strange. Um, like Sony Computer Entertainment Incorporated used to make a lot of uh, used to publish a lot of. Uh, very strange, often low-budget video games. But, uh, current that like, Sony has no desire to be involved in. I mean, that was also PlayStation 2, which was relatively cheaper to develop for than anything since, and had like literally nine years of people making stuff for uh, it. Yeah, viable Or, or uh, even lifespan. more. When did the PS2 start? 2000, March of 2000 in Japan. 13 and a half to 14 years of releases. Yeah. Uh, at least a dozen years of development cycle. Yeah. Yep. And I still remember accidentally causing a flame war in our forums once by reporting on a PS2 game in 2008. <laughs> it was Eternal Poison or Poison Pink. And some people were just very offended at the fact that there was yet another new PlayStation 2 IP coming out. And they were ignoring the PlayStation Three. Yep. I I also would ignore the PlayStation Three in two thousand eight. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a crap uh, thing to do. Let's yeah. see. I think it was two thousand eight. It was some time back then. It was not too long into my tenure as Japan Demonium guy, but it was definitely not the first year. Hmm. Yeah. Uh... Oh, I did want to bring up some. Some news of some Switch ports that I care about mm-hmm. that are RPGs mm-hmm. that the site has probably reported on, but I want to talk about them. The IXGU trilogy finally got announced. The poorly kept secret of like six months. Which trilogy? Dot uh, uh, GU. Uh, oh yeah. Like they like that. That was a game that like came out essentially right as the Switch came out and it did not get a Switch port and then for years it was like, well you could port this to Switch it's just remasters of a PS2 game and CyberConnect 2's president was like, yeah we pitched that to Namco, they weren't interested and then finally sometime in the past year or so they seem to have decided, wait we can just port old things to the Switch and so they finally just ported that collection, which is a really good collection that mm-hmm. also has content that was not in the original like an entire fourth episode uh, as like an epilogue I'm wondering if their other switch ports have like overperformed I mean it would be hard to say because like they like this seems like it must be an initiative that they like did all at once just by virtue of the fact that uh, they uh, like so many of them are coming out in such rapidity 
But yeah, I'm just very happy because Death XGU is one of my favorite. Like collectively, it's one of my favorite PS2 RPGs. Yeah, and, uh, and I love the first one, and never got around to the rest. Yes, because <laughs> the PS4 collection came out, and then it was hard to start over. But on Switch, that's going to be easier. Four years as well. Because I can just I can play it on the couch. I can bring it with me. Mm-hmm. It'll be great. I can't I can't yeah. freaking wait. And I'm excited to play through it again and finally play the fourth episode. Uh, I never played it the first time, so I'm kind of interested here. If if you have ever been even remotely interested in like that hack as a franchise, that's easily the best one. So. I mean, my only my re- only real experience here is the fact that some of the dot hat characters are in Project Cross Zone. Mm-hmm. Probably. And, uh, let's see. and and just the, just how hilarious <laughs> it is that when they actually end up in the dot hack world, Xiao Mu, the fox girl, is the one who immediately knows where they are because she spends most of her time playing the world instead of actually doing work. Mm-hmm. That's that's fitting, yeah. Yep. It's it's still got one of my favorite like meta textual jokes going on, like the in the background running through that and the entirety of GU is people, there are people complaining that they don't like the new version of this MMO as much as the old one. <laughs> That's one of the things I remember hearing about this is that it really nailed the subculture. Yeah. There's this, like, one of my favorite things is that there's both official forums and unofficial forums. And the official forums are much more like people asking very specific gameplay questions and like generally treading lightly. And then the unofficial forums are full of like, here's fan art of this character that I saw that I thought looked really cool or just like not like, like much more weird casual discussions that kind of gives like, they're both like little things, but they give like a lot more texture to like, Oh yeah, there's a weird little world going on. Uh, Zim says that they've been meaning to play that. Got it for Christmas four years ago, and I'm putting off playing it for exactly that long. Yeah, it's a, it's it's really good. Uh, I hope you end up playing it and enjoying it. Uh, but yeah, I'm really glad that's finally been announced on Switch. I'm fully ready to buy that again and play that again. But, yeah, uh, I actually jumped on the original PS2 releases of GU right before they briefly became expensive before this collection existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there was, there was a period between like when the PS2 died and the uh, collection came out where it's just like, these are a pain to get hold of and expensive. But now it's only the first four games that are a pain to get hold of and expensive, but they're also not as good, so it's fine. I was like, I'm not even sure if it's right to say the PS2 died. It was more like it was laid to rest after a long and well-deserved life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just napping life. now. Yeah. But, Shall return uh, victorious. But yeah, and in more recent games getting ported, Aegis, uh, 13 Sentinels, Aegis Throne. Yeah, I keep forgetting that got announced. Yeah, I didn't, like, I saw, I was talking to someone about that game, and they were like, you should just wait for the Switch version, and I was like, oh, I'm not holding my breath for that, Vanillaware never, uh, Vanillaware, Vanillaware so rarely makes Nintendo games, I don't expect it, and they were like, I wasn't making a joke, like, I wasn't saying, like, speaking of a hypothetical, here's the fucking announcement trailer. (laughs) I, like, briefly, like, what? But yeah, somehow, 
that got announced and almost completely slipped me by, but 13 Sentinels coming to Switch, which, I mean, that was the thing I was waiting for because it's a 50-hour game that has a lot of text, so. Yeah. yeah. So that's exciting. I'm excited to play that when it comes out uh, in the middle of next year. Earlier today, while I was searching through the used game stores and for actually for some Disney DVDs, mm-hmm. um, in the special discount uh, bin, I found Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. Oh, the like GameCube one? Oh, the Switch one. Oh, oh. Hmm. Care to guess how much? Uh, a depressingly a small amount. Well, what would be a depressingly small amount for you, Wheels? Uh, 500 yen? A little more than that, actually. 5,000 yen? Absolutely <laughs> not. That's 50 bucks, dude. It's um, a new game price. 1,000 yen? Yeah, I was, I'm guessing 1,000. It was actually 800. Uh, wow. That's rough. No, I don't mean think that, that one worked out. No, I mean, that wasn't the normal price. They just randomly take some of the lower-end items and just put them in that bin for a week and see what happens. Uh, just to see if, like, will this will it move at this price? <laughs> yeah. I figure, you know, I have a general policy of grabbing any Switch game I find for under 1000 just to see. So, mm. so yeah, Fair I've got enough. that one now. That's good. So, that, I mean, I also needed about 800 yen to fill out next point on my point card because the Disney movie <laughs> I've 1,200 yen. Uh, and, it's a, and the points are in 1,000 yen increments. Uh, of course. So, it was a good good combination. That and an extra 50 yen for Magical Hoshin if you ever want it. <laughs> uh, I'd love it. <laughs> okay. Yes. And it's 50 yen glory. Uh, uh, all in the park has been for only the finest of Quintet content. Uh, it actually was a pretty good game, even though the the uh, item creation sub game was a little annoying at times. Hmm. Uh, you know about that one, right, Dave? Uh, I don't know much about the item creation or how that functioned in that game. So all of the abilities that you get are off of these equipable items, mm-hmm. and, and your main character is the only one who can make these items. And so in order to make them, you need specific items um, ingredients which are generally easy to find they're just yeah. lying all over the place you mm. just have to find the right spot but in order to make them you also need a mantra mm-hmm. you do not actually need to know the mantra but you kind of do need it because that's what tells you how long before you hit the stop button on the process so uh, mm. and it's not just reading out the mantra um, because you have to find the sound bite for it in the world so you can figure out the actual meter and cadence of this mantra. Hmm. Figure out how long it actually is. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, that seems uh, like it might uh, it might put us be mildly frustrating in some cases. This is a game where the headphones are a requirement. At least for parts. So. That's, that's always like a dangerous thing to do with a like handheld game to require sound. Especially when you're playing it like on a Game Boy SP. Yeah. 
Hey, hope you bought the the headphone adapter. Yeah, have you seen headphones for that game recently? I have not. Uh, I should actually uh, check for questions in Discord. uh, (laughs) As it turns out, we we had a question added to the... What you call it? We had quest a question added to the uh, comment section from uh, wonderful staff member Strawberry Eggs, but as it turns out, it was one of the I think answered last week. Oh, yes. Just out of out of uh, just a raw coincidence that like we reached a fire miner question that was about uh, canceled thing. games, and uh, we then. <laughs> <laughs> and then we proceeded to talk about one of the ones that Strawberry X was talking about, sort of Lodentia, which, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I did comment on her for that. Yeah, I saw that. But yeah, it's one of those things that was just like, well, that's a life, one of life's funny coincidences. Uh, but yeah, sort of, sort of Legendia. Probably started as a, a Tales of Legendia spinoff. By the end, time it was finished, definitely. By the time it was canceled, almost assuredly wasn't based on the statements made about it. Uh, so yeah, we're uh, looks like we're flying blind. We're gonna have to pull out questions from the list. Mm-hmm. Let's see, pull some. Let's see. Uh, here's one that I don't know that we're qualified to answer much about, but we, I want to be able to mark it down that we at least, like, we weren't ignoring it. Uh, has anyone talked about how important PC and mobile gaming are to developing company, uh, countries? I mean, importing home consoles and games into these nations would be too expensive, so portable devices and PCs are where, where they turn. Yeah, like, this is, you know, that's part of the globalization of games is just that the devices people already have become the key to how games are made. There have been attempts to make devices specialized for developing nations, most infamously the Zebo, but uh, typically they are built... I remember previous years at Tokyo Game Show and talking to like Indonesian and Malaysian developers and it's like their entire thing has to be smartphone. Yeah, like that's where their audience is. Yeah. I mean, one of the guys I talked to, his first big break as a developer was actually a basic app for, um, like, um, Islamic calendar coordination. Oh, that's cool. The people could remember. Yeah. Yeah, so you can, like, easily just have something. RPGs and things. um, And um, and I know, like, things like... Iran, of all places, has a huge MMO ar- market. Huh. Yeah, MMOs seem to be very common, uh, like gateway uh, games and like these places that have less, uh, like smaller, like game playing populations. I suppose would be how to. I'm struggling on a I'm word not for even it. Talking about smaller populations in the case of Iran, the uh, the Tehran Games Show is actually bigger than the Tokyo Game Show. Yeah, like it, I guess, uh, yeah. So, but um, you yeah, can talk to like, you can talk to Pause about this because she was she once told me like it's the 
dream of lot of um, a lot of of uh, smartphone app developers to get their particular game approved by Tehran's um, oversight committee for distribution in in Iran. Mm. Is it's a massive market and it's heavily gated by the uh, governmental authorities. Mm, interesting. Which, I mean, makes sense from that aspect too. So yeah, um, yeah. The government's not trying to block the industry. Really keeping an eye on it. Yeah. But, yeah. As for other things I can speak of, uh, as mentioned, there was the attempt to like sell a console built on like essentially smartphone tech in like Central and South America called the Zebo. And uh, it was it was primarily like I think its biggest market was Brazil. Not to say that it was a huge market there, but it, like that was kind of I think where the entire thing was conceived. But the Zebo was a uh, Imagine, uh, imagine the Ouya, but with some sort of concept about what they were trying to do. Um, so they actually had a clue. Yeah, they had a marketing plan. It didn't work, but like you can see what thought process they put into it. But yeah, the Zebo is extraordinarily like it was it was a strange thing they did get actual games you heard of on it but they were typically like built on like circa 2010 cell phone ports mm. it's it's very strange there are some there are some unique games released for it or unique versions of games just like a weird remake of double dragon that only ever appeared on the zebo but yeah it's, it was a, it was a strange thing it didn't really work but like that that was someone kind of like taking the idea of like oh people play a lot of smartphone games on uh, in a lot of these countries so we'll make a console that's built on smartphones it's like well the reason they play a lot of smartphone games is they already have a smartphone they need they use that for things so that's what they play games on because they already have it and use it as opposed to they're just really enchanted by smartphones and want smartphone technology to be what their stuff built on it's a very strange. Uh, uh, Direction to take things, but yeah, Zebo lasted like two or three years. It's uh, it's a strange little thing uh, to have happened, but uh, now mostly lost the time because of the way that its DRM worked. But that tends would to be remiss not to mention it. Yeah, yeah. Let's see, uh. Here's one that I can throw on right now. Do we have any idea whether the Wii U was more or less difficult to develop for than the PS4 or Xbox One? It was PowerPC system, right? Yes, it was, but PowerPC had stopped being something anyone invested in at the time. And so it's a PowerPC system. Like, it's... So the Wii U was Nintendo wanting to extend the, like, hardware... Uh, design uh, capacity of the Wii, and like so, it's it's that it was you know a design that was built around the idea of like the Wii, but more so that it could be hardware backwards compatible with the Wii. It didn't. It didn't make a lot of sense, but simply because there hadn't been much attempts to extend power like that branch of PowerPC processors to that 
in that direction. And so there was just no hardware support for it. Like it, it didn't, it didn't work the same way that a PS3 or especially a 360, which would be its closest relative as a power, also a power PC based system. Uh, whereas like you look at a PS4 or an Xbox one at that time, they, they just are midway mid range gaming PCs at that point. They're X86, uh, mid range, uh, gaming PCs of that era. And so like those were relatively easy to deal with, especially, because both of those are actually very similar pieces of hardware even to each other. Like, probably more so than any prior set of consoles uh, made by competing manufacturers. Uh, the Wii U was a weird uh, piece of hardware, not necessarily because of its concept, but because of it was just kind of the wrong hardware at the time. Anyone else got more to add to that, or...? Does anything still use power PCs? Kind of seems like that started to die once. That's kind of a dead letter. Once, once Apple it. left it behind, it was. Yeah. I mean, that's why you know I'm sure that there would have been at some point a desire within Microsoft to make a system that could be hardware backwards compatible with the Xbox 360, but I'm sure they looked at it and was like, "How?" <laughs> yeah, I mean. I'm surprised how long Apple stuck with it, considering the fact they couldn't get a mobile uh, G5 chip. Oh, yeah, those G5s are like the last PowerPC Max. They're weird. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a good chip. They just couldn't, you know, the laptops are their big market, and they couldn't couldn't get it. Yeah, there. like... You weren't, like, the, the G5 power... Like, they were also just power guzzlers, which is probably part of why they couldn't make them really work in laptops. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just one of those things. Like, that was... Uh, that was kind of... Like, power PC as a concept was kind of a dead letter by that point, so... Rip. Yep. And that's always going to be, like, the, the biggest thing. It's just... You know, like people learn to deal with hardware uh, as long as there's someone making decent middleware, even if it's complicated hardware, they'll learn to deal with it because it's like, well, we don't have to touch the worst parts of it as often. But, you know, the Wii U, there was, you know, no one else was using a power PC of that type, uh, especially. So. Uh, on that topic, which features slash Martin's uh, strategy would have saved the Wii U? I don't None. know that one exists. <laughs> None. <laughs> a different name. A different I mean, a different console. name would have helped, but I mean, like, uh, you you get this the this kind of thing a lot. I remember there was a uh, I, I've seen in the years since the Vita finally gave up the ghost, like. Uh, an increasingly common refrain that, like, oh, it was the memory cards that killed it. And it's like, no, the memory no. cards didn't help, but, like, they aren't the reason people didn't buy it. And for the Wii U, it's like, the name didn't help, but it's not the problem, per se. Yeah. Like, like, the Vita, it was too expensive, and there was no big third-party or first-party titles. Like, like Sony on. was not willing to do the kind of bailout procedure that Nintendo was for the 
3DS. Yeah. Uh, for for the Wii U, it's a case of I just I don't think there was like the the making games like speaking of technical issues like reserving certain amounts of memory specifically for the uh for keeping tabs on the tablet was always like a thing that was going to make the Wii U kind of painful for a lot of hardware developer for a lot of software developers but also like there just wasn't really a lot like the 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 argument that the Wii U needed to make for itself was that uh, wheels is just slowly sliding down the mountain. Uh, the argument that the Wii U needed to make to save itself was that the opportunities gained from its controller made, meant that it made sense to deal with any issues that came with that controller. And the problem that you ran into was that the there weren't a lot of games that were made possible by uh like it was just too hard to play a game that required you to pay attention to in different information on both the controller screen and the main screen and it was uh the the best argument for it was when you just only played on the controller screen and the answer to how to like the the answer to fixing things ended up becoming oh you just make the switch mm. like that was how you sell the Wii U because it turns out that through learning painfully through the Wii U that there wasn't much you could do uh, other than the how much people enjoy the ability to not be tethered to a TV while playing a console style game uh you know, it ends up feeling like the Switch was the piece of hardware they always wanted to make. And the Wii U was like this flawed, like, well, is a half step good enough? And the answer was no. It was but, a learning experience. Yeah, it's, it was an important failure on the path to success, but it is one of those things where it's like, if you ask, how could you fix the Wii U? You don't make it, you just make the Switch instead. Yeah. <laughs> Except they couldn't quite make the switch at that time. So. Yeah, like the the tech was not there, but yeah, that's the the answer is that. They needed. Yep, it did teach them that there were definitely like because the reactions to the Wii U were always like oh, I just love, like you know if, but, so you know the modern joke is that like a game gets announced and then someone on Twitter yells at the developers, is it on Switch? Uh, <laughs> At the time, among what Wii U fans existed, the joke was mostly uh, the game, you get a uh, the, the a game would be announced for T, for Wii U, and then someone would ask, "Does it have off TV play?" Because like that was the name of that feature. But yeah, like that was that that was clearly what people who had purchased this object wanted most of it. Uh, let's see. What is the biggest what-if in game development? Personally, I always wonder what if Daikatana had been made by id, with Romero being tempered by Kanye. Uh, 
Uh, well, it probably would have come out like two years earlier. <laughs> and it probably would have just better. been on the Quake engine. Because, like, that was the thing, like, that, that killed, uh, that killed, uh, Daikatana was that it was being made on one engine, and then, uh, Romero got excited by the technical possibilities of, I think, like, the Quake 2 engine, and then suddenly it switches engines, and then, like, yeah, like, all sorts of technical challenges, like, Anytime you hear we had to switch engines in mid-development, that means, oh, this was, there was a lot of pain whenever this happened. Even if it was early, there was a lot of pain when this happened. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah. Um, can't you freeze the switch down, or is that only in some places? Uh, I think that's only in some places. Fair enough. Also, what's up, Heavy? But yeah. Uh, Everybody showing up in stream tonight. Huzzah. Awesome. But yeah. Uh, Daikatana. Uh, I don't know what that game's legacy would be if it didn't have its botched development because it's unclear how much of its original uh, plans would have even happened. But yeah, it's an interesting what if. Uh, if I were to bring up like interesting what ifs, I would probably just bring up like what if something like the N sixty four DD hadn't been a huge debacle. Mm. Uh, like because there was a like right when the N sixty four launched, there was a very real tenor from Nintendo's um, like PR that like Oh yeah, we'll we'll make console games, but like our biggest games are going to be disc games. They'll be cheaper to make, and you know they'll be, uh, you know the 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 idea was that the DD was the future, and like Zelda sixty four is going to be a, a disc drive game, and Mother three is going to be a disc drive game, and Jack and Beans is going to be a disc drive game, and like by the end, it's just like there's the there are seven N sixty four DD games if we're counting all of the different Mario artist games as separate games. Uh, it is It is not a, a, like, yeah, it was not a successful product. It very quickly, um, it, by, by the time it came out, I'm convinced the only reason it was finished was out of some degree of, there, there was likely some sort of financial uh, like contractual obligation that it had to release because it was it was jumbled up with in Japan with like Randnet or something some like service that was involved in uh let's see yeah it was it was involved in like some internet thing uh called Randnet and I'm convinced that like contracts relating to that are the reason that the thing had to come out. Because I'm going to now list for you every single N64 DD game in order to release. <gasps> Mario Artist Paint Studio. Doshin the Giant. Randnet Disc. That's not a game. Uh, Mario Artist Talent Studio. SimCity 64. F-Zero X Expansion Kit. Japan Pro Golf Tour 64. Doshin the Giant, Tinkling Toddler Liberation Front Assemble. I'm sorry, what? Mark 
Goshen the Giant, Inkling Toddler Liberation Front Assemble. Um. Okay. All right. Doesn't make it does not make sense in context. Oh. Um, Mario Artist Communication Kit, Mario Artist Polygon Studio. That's all of them. That sounds uh, like a pile of crap. <laughs> Doshin the Giant is weird and fun. SimCity 64 is surreal because it's like one of the first 3D SimCities and it's also uh, got a bundled-in version of SimCopter that allows you to just fly through your SimCity 64 city. It's not a bad SimCity, but I don't think anyone wanted to play SimCity on their N64 in 2000. Um, Japan Pro Golf Tour 64, why did you even bother coming here? Uh, the F-Zero-X expansion kit is actually really neat because it has it has a crack editor. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was a expansion kit to a game that had come out in, like, uh, 1998, and the expansion kit came out in 2000 on a thing that no one owned. <laughs> uh, and Doshin the Giant is a, like, god sim game. Like, you're a you're a giant yellow man that is supposed to like uh change like in a populist-esque fashion you change the environment to help your civilization uh or you can be an evil god and you become josh in the giant but it's uh it's a weird game uh and tinkling toddler liberation front is probably the most interesting use of the 64 dd because it's like it, it's using it and doshin interact like you uh you like your data from doshin interacts with your data from tinkling toddler liberation front assemble I just can't uh, get over and, that name yeah no one no one ever has <laughs> yeah uh i want to say this was made by one of those companies that was uh, involved with uh, like Maragal, which was a oh this this is not surprising to me at all looking it up. Uh, the the person who led the development company was a key developer on Art Dink's nonsense monstrosities from the era, Tale of the Sun and Aquanauts Holiday. <laughs> oh no! Uh, for those not familiar. Tale of the Sun is a narcoleptic caveman simulator. Uh, Which is I, an interesting description to begin with. Yeah, that's a, that's about the best way I can describe it. Like the idea, I believe, is supposed to be that you are supposed to build a tower up to the sun. You're a caveman, and you build a tower up to the sun out of like mammoth parts, basically. Uh, but most people who played the game. Uh, experience a game where you run through a big open field and then partway through your caveman gets hungry or tired and falls asleep and rolls down the hill. And uh, the game offers very little uh, direction. It's a very strange game. In Japan, it was uh, Taiyo no Shippo, Wild Pure Simple Life. Uh, Taiyo no Shippo is literally like, like, like an animal tale of the sun. But yeah, uh, it's like technically you have a goal in the game, but the goal is not the point. Uh, you just sort of wander around and your caveman does things. 
but yeah, it's it's a weird game. Uh, Aquanauts Holiday is kind of exactly what it sounds like. You're an Aquanaut, and you just sort of go around, like, charting fish and shit. What's an Aquanaut, and why do they deserve a holiday? Uh, Wheels, I want you to sit down and think about what an Aquanaut might be. Um, no. I do not. I... I do not want to do that. It's it's uh basically it just means you're basically scuba diving around in a game yeah. where you cannot die and you just sort of discover things. It sounds boring. <laughs> yeah. Wheels, you need to work on your delivery because this would have been the perfect time to say, "I'm sorry, Dave, but I don't want to do that." Damn it! Damn it! See what you've done. <laughs> but yeah, like it's it's one of those things where it's like it can be dull, but it's like it's not supposed to be like a thrill-a-minute game. It's just a game that's like, oh, it's okay for a game to just be kind of relaxing. And that's that's kind of what Aquanauts Holiday is. But, uh, yeah, that that guy goes off and, like, starts a company called Parum, it seems, and uh, produces Doshin the Giant. And Doshin the Giant, Tinkling Toddler Liberation Front Assemble. Uh, but yeah, I don't know that. Yeah, he seems to have left the industry as often as the case for these people that make extraordinarily strange games back when games were relatively cheap to make and you could get publishers to take a chance. But yeah, uh, Param itself seems to have been funded by Marigo Management which was a company that Nintendo set up when they realized that no one was making N64 games. It was a company that was just designed to be like, if you are willing to make Nintendo 64 games, we will fund you. We will help your company get off the ground and we will keep you capable of making games. It was a company like... Uh, partly owned by Nintendo and partly owned by a Japanese media company called Root. Uh, but yeah, apparently the name Marigol was a combination of the two companies' mascots, Mario and Recruit's mascot of a seagull. But yeah. Uh, sounds, sounds like that episode of The Simpsons. Mr. Sparkler. Heavy manufacturing concern at <laughs> the uh, Matsumoto Fish Works. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was a weird, uh, but yeah. When I when I think of like what if for games, I think about like well, what if the N sixty four DD had happened uh, at all, like how it was originally intended, or in place of the cartridge based N sixty four. Like, what would that world have looked like if game if like the Nintendo sixty four's uh, general. Uh, if the four media that was used to sell games on the N64 was cheaper to make, because like they did make uh, cartridges for the N64 that were as large as what 64DD could do, but also it was much cheaper to make a 64DD like disc than it was to make a uh, cartridge of that size on the N64. Uh, and it probably would have changed a lot of things. Uh, because the N64 would have made slightly more sense. Uh, but we'll never know. But, yeah. 
And hey, Mother th 3D Mother 3 might have even come out. I doubt it, but it might have. <laughs> Didn't that not even get past, barely got past the demonstration, let's see what we might be able to do stage? No, the 3D Mother 3 got pretty far along, actually. This, I've plugged this before, but there's a very interesting interview with uh, Iwata, Itoi, and Miyamoto from right after they canceled Mother 3 on N64 in like 2001, where they're all having like their own regrets and thoughts about what the game was and like where it had failed. And they're all talking about how far along they think it is. And they have di they disagree on how close they think it was to being done. Uh, because, like, Miyamoto seems the most convinced. Like, you, if we really tried, we could maybe get this out. But it, wouldn't, it would not make sense when it came out. Because, like, the GameCube would already be out by the time we finished it. But, like, that version of the game, uh, I think he described it as, like, maybe 60% done. Like, not in terms of content, but, like, all that was left was content. Like, the, the outline was there, the technology was there, and the initial content seemed to be coming along. So it was just that, like, they just needed to make it now that they had worked out what the game was. And that's probably why Mother 3 on GBA was able to happen, because they had worked out what the game was. But, yeah, it's it's a very... Uh, if you ever want to go looking for that interview, it's very interesting. There's a very especially strange portion of this interview where one of them talks about how they almost showed the game at a trade show after it was canceled. Huh. Like, because they, they canceled it uh, right before, like, uh, one of the old uh, Shoshinkai Space World shows that Nintendo would do at the time. Uh... Uh, but they're talking about how, yeah, we almost showed it at this Shoshin guy, even though we would we knew that people would know it was canceled when we showed it, just so that people would know how far we had gotten on developing it. <laughs> but uh, very very strange game, uh, all sorts of weird wild uh, game concepts that were uh, conceived for the N64 and then just never happened or had to be scaled back. Uh, Uda Zelda might have come out and been very different from the opening of Time Master Quest that ultimately did come out. Uh, yeah, there's, there's just a lot of strange uh, ideas that uh, might have happened on 64DD, and it might have changed how the industry moved forward just because it would have made meant that the PlayStation had a much stronger contender next to it. But we'll never know. But that's my big what if. Do we do we have any other like big what ifs about games that we like to contemplate? Hmm. I think immediately spins to mind. Sorry, I just went off on a tear for like ten minutes. I what if Nintendo and Sony had released that PlayStation Super Nintendo thingy? Uh they probably would have immediately sued each other. Uh, fairly shortly afterwards, because that's the whole reason they never did. <laughs> Sounds uh, the the other thing I think for when you look at the Nintendo PlayStation, uh, the Super Nintendo PlayStation, whatever you want to call it, uh, I want to call when it people... the Nin Station. The sure, Na we'll call it the Nin Station just for you. We'll call it the 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 Nation. There you go, the Sony Nintendo Sony Nation. No. 
Um, in, in any case, uh, the thing that's... When people finally found a prototype of it and realized what it was, like, it, it became... Another part of why it was canceled became clear, which is... Uh, it didn't really have... It didn't in it did not improve the Super Nintendo hardware in any meaningful fashion. Like there was no uh additional like processors or memory to really deal with uh the C D add-on. It was because they wanted it to be cheap, because like part of the reason that Sega C D was ungodly expensive was that it was like one, that C D drives were expensive at the time, but two was that it has some extra hardware in there that the Genesis does not, both to like store up the Genesis' weaknesses as well as to uh, to make it easier to uh, deal with CD games. The Super Nintendo is not really meant; it's not really built to uh, optimize the idea of like loading data off a CD. So whatever games came out on that would have been just heinously slow. To load anything, basically. And it's like, oh, that's actually kind of a problem. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, it would have been interesting. Uh, Secret of Mana probably would have been very different. But I was the only say, thing I. The third act of that game shrunk down to just a few spots instead of having a bigger world. I feel like a lot. I, I've heard a lot of like stories about what was supposed to be going on with that, but the answer, I mean, as far as I can tell, is they cut a lot. I'm not sure what specific parts, but they cut a lot. Honestly, the parts that make most sense about where they might have cut it would be everything after the escape from the Emperor's Castle, because sense. after that, every spot you visit is an isolated spot with no connections between them, and you have to visit by air for everything. Yeah, yeah, that'd make sense. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if other things were cut as well, but that was probably the big one. I mean, that would be the number one thing. I mean, I remember, I remember finally getting to Tasnika back in the day and thinking, "Oh, there's nothing outside this castle. There's no way out of the castle." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it was, it was a. But yeah, I can't think of anything else that seems like it was really purpose built for the CD. Uh. In the same way that, like, it's been about that, like, no, this was meant to be a CD game and we had to cut it to ribbons to make it work. Yeah. But, yeah. There's, there's some other, like, fair questions that I think you could do, but they're they're less interesting to me because they're more, like, business concerns. Like, what if Microsoft had nixed the had never announced their intention to put in heinous DRM into the Xbox One, like, what would that generation have looked like? Uh, not too but, different, but still slightly better for the Xbox. Yeah, yeah like, the the answer I, I repeatedly come back to is that, like... Do you mean, like, they did... Just, what if they had not done it at all? Or what if they had just not announced it and just released it without telling anyone? <laughs> oh, no, it, it like would that. have to be if they had not done it at all and okay. just not told anyone they yeah. ever planned it. Yeah, I think most of, a lot of my might have been involved games that were obviously incomplete. Mm -hmm. The biggest one of those is actually completed for a PlayStation Two remake. So, um, oh, you're thinking of Romancing Saga? Yeah, yeah. Some things never so, change. 
Of course. I mean, you've got to bring up the series. <laughs> every no, I'm week. not, I'm not telling you you're wrong. I'm glad someone brought it up, but it is one of those things. It's like, yep. Put it on the Q and a quest bingo card. We're talking about saga again. Yep. So, but yeah, lots of might have beens, but mostly it's like, okay, I wish this game could have been better, or I wish this game had actually stayed in development a little bit longer, or I mm. wish this very obvious section had not been cut out. Yeah. Yeah. Even then, it's mostly if I know that section existed to begin with, or might have existed. Yeah, because like you know, as with every piece of media, games get tons of cuts. Like the, the you know. It's it's always more a question of how well did they hide it? Like if it's still yeah, obvious like, that there's something missing. <laughs> it's like the only reason I know that they cut out at least one level from Chrono Trigger is because they still kept the music for that level in the soundtrack. Yeah, like there's no there's nothing in Chrono Trigger that makes it feel like something's missing. It's just the fact that Singing Mountain is on the soundtrack makes it clear that there was a dungeon this was supposed to go with. But, I mean, try to pick a place where that dungeon might have fit in, and no, you can't find it. Yeah. I think, uh... I recall once reading that, like, it wasn't even cut because it wasn't finished. It was just that, like, the it messed up the pacing of the game to have it in there, so they cut it. Yeah. yeah. Right, okay. Um, I actually mentioned this in the review I did for the game, but Saga 2, mm-hmm. the PS3 remake, had the perfect place to put in a completely new dungeon. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. Yeah. Probably a place earmarked for a new dungeon, and it's just like, well, not enough time. No, I mean, um, it's like, in the original game, it was just kind of a nowhere place. It was like a little planetoid between the fifth and the sixth worlds, and hmm. all, the only thing there was to fight a boss and rescue a girl. Huh. But um, in the remake, the, this little planetoid, you were walking through this canyon and across this rope bridge, and you turn a corner and you find a very nice replica of the ancient lost city of Petra in the middle of a cliff. Huh. And then the scene plays out just as normal, and it's like, you could have just put in a level there, even a short one, have us go through the level, fight the ninja at the end, rescue Lin, get all the way back out, and then fight the ninja again. <laughs> Wouldn't have even been mad. And it would have actually given us, something, given us a use for Lin. She's like <laughs> the most useless character in the game. Unfortunately, because... All she has are martial arts techniques. Ah. Uh. And if you've ever played this game, you might remember that martial arts techniques only get more powerful as you use them. And if you're starting off with 40 uses of a martial arts um, thing, and at the same time, you're also going up immediately against a boss. Yeah, you're just going to not really do much. Nothing she does would hit. Yeah. At all. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, okay, there we go. One regret is like, okay, dudes, you had the perfect opportunity to actually do some really cool stuff right there. You didn't. Think of what we could have had. Yep. And everything else is awesome anyway, but... Let's see. Um... <laughs> Besides Yakuza, South Park, and Disgaea, which game franchise has the highest number of memorably funny side quests? Memorably funny side quests. Um, hmm. 
memorably I'll funny. Say Yakuza. <laughs> okay. Something just really odd. Um, well, I mean, Nino Kuni had quite a large number of interesting side quests. And actually, hmm. that was one of the things I like about Nino Kuni too is even the even the side quests that were technically just fetch quests, they still had a plot and the actual mm. character who was asking for things and had reasons. And it just worked out really mm. well. Mm. So, um, and some of them just end up really ridiculous anyway. So yeah, I'll, I'll go with Nino Kuni too. Interesting. Not one I'd have thought of. Uh... You got any whales? Um... The Outer Worlds. Well, I know you're there. Link is still moving. The Outer Worlds. A really good side quest. Two. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm still here. I, I just briefly pinged out, so I was like, why isn't Wheels responding? Oh, yes. You didn't... But yeah, Outer Worlds was your go. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, all the all the quests of any kind in that game are great, but it, there's a lot of like side quests that give some of the companions more background and stuff. Good stuff. And there's just really odd ones like the lady who is having a conniption fit and is begging people to go rescue her son, her little boy, and it turns out her little boy is 40 years old and just trying to get away from her. Oh my god, I love that quest. <laughs> that one was hilarious. Oh. Uh... <sighs> I need to play the DLC. Yeah, so do I. The game is real, real, real good. I can't wait for the sequel. Check it out again. Probably. Dave. Yeah. Dave. I'm back. Okay. I'm back. The internet is failing us. Oh, no. Yeah. Let's blurt out mine. Um... Uh, this is a bit of a cheat, but uh, probably Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask would be one that I would bring up. Yeah. Like, that one just has a lot... Like, that one's built around its side quests, so... There's a yeah, lot I mean, of stuff that's just goofy, funny, or weird. Saving cows from aliens? Saving saving cows from aliens, or just the ability to steal a dude's hotel uh, reservation. <laughs> like, stuff like that is just like, huh. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> you don't have a reservation for Mr. Link Goro. Really, Goro? Like, just this hotel, this poor hotel clerk just never realizes that, like, oh, his name is the same as the player characters. He just has, like, a weird verbal tick that causes him to say Goro after every time. <laughs> Yeah. It's because Japanese uh, actually looks like that and English doesn't. Yeah, it was one of those things where like you just sort of had to roll with it in English because it didn't make a ton of sense, but like you got the joke even though it was essentially like this made more sense in Japanese. Yeah. We may have to I, or at the very least, I may have to like close out relatively early, or else I, my internet threatens to kill us all. How dare it! Uh. Hello. 
Hello. Hello. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm just concerned for my long-term yeah. internet at the stage. Uh, there's one other side quest I wanted to mention. Um, it's not one I've actually yeah, yeah. actually done, but apparently, I I think it's if you call, talk to the the guy that plays music, the bird guy that plays music in all the locations, she shows up. You get like some further flashbacks to the yeah. past and kind of learned more about Link and Zelda's relationship. And it kind of gives yeah, and kind of gives you more of an idea that oh hey they were actually in love and it makes a lot of sense a lot of the makes the the whole story make a lot more sense I think. Um, mm. Yeah, I've never actually done it myself, but I've watched kind of yeah. I mean that's, that's kind of a get. wild thing. Yeah. Also, hey Tam. I think I'm cutting out again. Uh, you're here. Maybe. Uh, just keep losing audio for like two or three seconds. That's all right. Why don't we wrap this up then? Before this drives us all. Sorry, guy yeah, you've got fine. plugs to do. Oh, I gotta do that, don't I? Okay. <clears throat> okay. Putting aside the ridiculously, why did I actually try to fight this thing, boss? Um. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> Brain and gear. Okay, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor for Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Um, a fun and playful look at life around the gaming table and in the fantasy world that you're making up as you go along because you can't always remember the proper rules at the right time, and let's just roll with it. This happened a lot more than I sh should really be admitting to. Um, Listen, sometimes, uh, like, sometimes you just gotta let, your, uh, let things go. <laughs> yep. So yeah, so that's nine episodes, two side quests, and a paralogue, all on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited, uh, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yarimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U. So. Yeah. Wales. Mm -hmm. um, if you're watching this on the RP Gamer stream, or listening, you can check out my Twitch channel, uh, Twitch. TV slash Ask Wheels, where I'm usually playing non RPGs, and usually, which often involves playing first person shooters poorly. So, check that out. Uh, in addition to this show, we do a show on Sunday nights on the Epic Gamer channel called Sunday Night Shenanigans, and then head over to my channel after that to play some fighting games. Um, and also, uh, check out the next episode of RPG Backtrack, which I will be on, uh, involving a game in desperate need of a Switch port. And I will say no more than that. That doesn't narrow it down. <laughs> uh... And yeah, uh, I will once again plug my Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash gameculturestudy. Uh, I believe the next thing going up tomorrow as of this writing is me complaining about the gameplay loop of Dark Cloud, but who knows? Uh, life is an eternal Yay, mystery in the enigma. Blows. 
it's bad um <laughs> but yeah uh yeah uh you know give that a look there's uh i, I actually have a public twitter feed that's primarily for that and also for me shit posting about video games now you want to follow that that's at the underscore underscore fbm because somehow both the fbm and the underscore fbm were both taken and i was not ready to think of a second name so uh too bad but yeah if you want to follow that uh you'll see a lot more of me shit posting about things like Kumuta. so that if that for whatever reason compels you go look at that uh, otherwise, you can send us questions. They go in the comments section, like good friend Strawberry Eggs, or they go in the podcast section of the Discord, like good friend Fireminer. Uh, we're always happy to hear questions. Thank you to both of them for this week. Uh, if you have not joined the RPG Gamer Discord, you should. You can get there by going to the community tab on the RPG Gamer uh, homepage. You will find a link to in invite to the discord there uh or you can catch us on the uh actual streams we do those every uh american wednesday uh approaching thursday usually like 8 30 pacific 11 30 eastern uh otherwise uh see you space cowboys mm -hmm. see ya yeah.